Good evening. My name is Vivian Catfield, and this is Haunted Muse, a podcast that showcases my writing work in the horror, paranormal, supernatural, and southern gothic genres. This is episode 75 of Haunted Muse, and it features the latest installment of my third novel, Skeleton's Blood. Okay, so here we go. Skeleton's Blood, Chapter 19. The hospital administrator's penthouse conference room was luxurious, which surprised neither Nick nor Colton. A few months before, they'd put their heads together with some investigative journalists who were interested in wasted funds and overspending in the medical industry. A team was formed to oversee the production of a documentary on rooms all over the country, exactly like this one, which were offered along with accounting reports of the administrator's enormous salaries that made many tech tycoons look like paupers by comparison. For Colton, it wasn't the imported Italian marble floors or the butter-soft calfskin leather chairs, individually customized, and labeled with each board member's name like a row of thrones, or even the completely unnecessary touchscreen 3D demo wall, which he was sure that none of the board members could operate without a technician's assistance that were the most egregious evidences of overspending. No, that title would have to go in the vice president's mind to the hand-hewn, single-slab, old-growth California redwood table which dominated the length of the room. As a lifelong lover of nature, it pained Colton to think of the rest of that tree, doubtlessly many centuries old, and how it had long since been reduced to pulp. Yet, it was at this table Colton sat, uncomfortably, in someone else's ergonomically customized leather chair, as his partner explained to him the circumstances under which President Graves had been murdered by a vampire. Nick's explanation was as brief and pointed as possible. During it, Colton asked very few questions. They sat, as they'd been so often accustomed, on opposite sides of the table, without a hint of intimacy, the old fear of being seen still dominant in the face of all else. Then, Colton told Nick about all that had happened upstairs, the attack, and what had followed. He seemed to grow wearier in the telling of it as he finished the tale. In the end, Colton Merritt sat staring at his reflection in the highly polished mirror-like surface of the old-growth redwood table. So, that monster in the navy jacket, Colton asked wearily after they both finished. The one who attacked Beth and Liza Jane. He was a vampire then, Nick nodded. Will they become vampires? Colton asked, already knowing the answer, but afraid to admit it to himself. Nick nodded again, this time more slowly. If they live, then yes, and they will be under the control the thrall, as they call it, of Captain Ned Lowe, or as Graves knew him, Captain Andrew Brooke. Before he killed her, Colton completed Nick's thought, continuing to stare at the table. So, they're gone already, then Colton added. My whole life, I've been so concerned with looking right doing the right thing, being the right kind of person, or at least the person whom everyone expected me to be, the son who should have made his parents proud, 
the brother who should have been able to rescue his sister, the husband and father who did rescue Liza Jane and Beth, and for what? Colton shrugged. Did I fear their judgment if I didn't? Partly, I guess, but the other part was simply me lying to myself, hating myself, wanting to be anything other than what I was. Because I, I wanted to believe all that shit, you know. Heaven, hell, the whole nine yards. At least it had some kind of order. Nothing in my life, even the good parts, has ever made any kind of logical sense. He put his head down on the desk, his voice reverberating off the wood as his breath fogged the thick, clear-coated tabletop. Did you know that the night I got recruited to Alabama... The scout had come looking for another guy. He was even at the wrong school. He'd written the name down wrong. He was supposed to go to Alabaster, not Jasper. What the hell ever happened to that damn guy, I wondered. Would he have ended up here, sitting in this room, in this chair? Colt, I, I don't think this is the time. Nick tried to redirect him, but Colton sensed it and cut him off. Colton rocked back in his chair and swiveled side to side, sitting up and waving his hands. No, no, you're right. It's not the time. And now there may never be a time. I've lied this long, so I might as well keep it up, right? I mean, how can it get any worse? People seem to like me better when I'm lying. Like that old movie where Jack Nicholson goes, you can't handle the truth, you know? The only difference now is that I know there's nothing out there to make it make any sense at all. There's just goddamned nothing. An absence. Well, Nick replied hesitantly, not knowing what to make of Colton's reaction. He'd expected anger, perhaps, or a denial of the circumstances totally. That would have been in line with Colton's sense of working-class practicality his loyalty to a belief system that, had it known the truth of his life, would have despised him. What Nick was not expecting was this reaction, complete resignation and acceptance, like a child who knew that his parents were splitting up, but were just waiting to muster the courage to tell him so. Colt, from uh, what I've seen in the last few hours, there's definitely something out there after we die. Not necessarily the afterlife as any religion would recognize it, but something, everything, really, except what you've described. Definitely not an absence. Their discussion was interrupted by a light tapping on the glass. An expectant sound, as if from an impatient friend. From the corner of his eye, Colton thought he saw a shadow flash past the left corner of the window then disappear around the building. Nick saw it too and hoped to change the subject. Do you feel ready to meet one of them? Nick asked. One of the good ones, I mean. She's risked everything to be here, to help protect you. I know it will be difficult, but we may not have much time left. The helicopter will be here any minute. A vampire, Colton asked wants to meet me, to protect me. His jaw flexed as he seemed to be chewing on the thought. He reached for the touchpad on the table that controlled the windows. Is it like in the movies? 
Do I have to invite her in? Yes, I believe you do, Nick answered softly. Okay, Colton said simply, looking out the window once more. He pressed the up arrow on the touchpad, and the window slid open with a slight hiss of air. Come in, then, Colton directed, then added politely, If you please, ma'am. The temperature of the room dropped immediately, not from the chilly December air, but as if from a jet of cold water being thrown over them. Both men shivered. A stream of black smoke slipped over the window sill and steadily stacked into a cloud about the height of a human. A few seconds later, a woman dressed in all black from head to foot emerged, and the tiny fog evaporated. Ma'am, she said, her full blue lips forming a wry smile. I'd forgotten how pleasant it was to be politely addressed by southern gentlemen. As she floated across the room toward him, holding out her left hand, Colton rose and kissed it instinctively. Mr. President, you are charming, she said, with a coquetry that Nick did not recognize from his encounter with her only hours before as she surveyed Colton's handsome form. My name is Alva Vanderbilt Belmont, lately of Newport, formerly Alva Smith of Mobile, Alabama. I understand that you may be in need of some guidance in navigating these difficult times. As such, I am here to offer my assistance in any way possible. However, as Mr. Gallinus should have already informed you, Alva glanced quickly over her shoulder, the green beams of her gaze flashing around the room like a laser passing through an emerald, then back to Colton. Our relationship must be kept strictly confidential. Also, for your own protection, you will not be introduced to any other vampires unless it is absolutely necessary for to do so might necessitate your making a choice which would affect the fate of the country in a negative way. And we can't have such things, can we, President Merritt? Colton was stunned, not only by the hypnotic presence of this vampire who was guiding him through the conversation with the same tone of undetectable yet undeniable firmness that a kindergarten teacher might direct an unwitting child, but also by the fact that she had referred to him as President Merritt. Although Nick had explained the circumstances of the situation to him explicitly, when Colton heard Alva say it for the first time, it became real. One more thing in the long line of strange events that had made up his unlikely life. Although there was no logical reason for him to be so, Colton Merritt was now President of the United States. Colton's head swam as Alva, in her own extremely logical style, proceeded to lay out her plans for how she was to accompany him undetected on the journey to Washington for the swearing-in and through the days that would follow. She informed him that although his stepping into the late President Grays' role at the inaugural American Health Care Service Summit in Newport would doubtlessly draw dangerous attention from both Lowe and Prine, she would remain his constant companion and protector. Of course, through Nick and Hazel, we will have human emissaries to carry the news back and forth so that we can be prepared for any threats that may be perceived. Is that acceptable to you, Mr. President? Alva's intensely green gaze left him with only one possible answer. Wonderful. It's settled then, 
she said, her face brightening from its serious expression. I think time's winged chariot draws near. Both Nick and Colton's official cell phones had begun to buzz as the trio heard the thumping of helicopter blades growing louder as the craft slowed to hover, preparing to land on the roof. All that remains is for us to decide what form you would prefer for my concealment, Alva stated, as firmly in charge of the situation as she had been since entering the room. Are you squeamish about rodents at all, President Merrick? Rodents? Colton asked, slightly confused. I guess that depends. Do you mean a cute one, like a hamster, or a nasty one, like a wharf rat? Alva laughed, the tinkling society woman's trill that she'd mastered over a hundred years. <laughs> oh, heavens no, Mr. President. No rats involved. Call me sentimental, and perhaps a bit overly giddy about going incognito in your interest, but I was thinking something like this. Instantly, there was a loud crack, and Alva vanished. Scanning the air above them, Colton saw a small brown bat, about the size of an egg with wings, flapping excitedly around the room. He watched in amazement as the tiny creature swooped first around him, then Nick, who cried out and ducked. Immediately, there was another pop, loud as a tree snapping in a storm, and Alva appeared again. Unsteady on her feet, she fell forward into Colton, who grasped her arms and helped her stand. "'Goodness, I haven't done that in ages!' Alva exclaimed. "'Please, forgive me. Flying about like that in short spurts makes one dizzy as a fish. It is somewhat exhilarating, though, the wild abandon of it. What do you think? I can easily fit into your pocket, and so long as you keep it securely closed, I will be safely in the dark, even during the daytime.' Ready whenever you might need my advice. No one will be any the wiser. Overcome with the absurdity of it all, Colton laughed. <laughs> what the hell not? <laughs> Nothing else in my life makes sense. I'm game to carry a vampire bat in my pocket, if that's how you're the most comfortable. Just then, there was a scraping sound, followed by the clunk of the helicopter's runners touching down on the roof. Hoping to catch whomever might see the door, down to the conference room before they entered, Nick took off for the stairs. "'I'm glad you approve,' said Alva, clearly proud of her choice. "'It seems we have at least one more thing in common, President Merritt. We're both Southern folk at heart who know how to,' she winked slowly. "'Wing it when we need to.' "'Oh, that bun was truly wretched,' Colton said, but Alva didn't wait for him. With another crack, she resumed her bat form flying down to perch on his shoulder. Carefully, Colton picked Alva up and tucked her into the inside pocket of the light ski jacket he wore under his heavier overcoat. As he zipped the pocket shut, Nick came clattering back down the stairs from the rooftop helipad, followed by half a dozen Secret Service men. They exchanged glances, and Colton was surprised to see that Nick looked a lot more worried than he felt. Searching his partner's eyes, Colton knew why. Nick knew this was one more step in the ever-widening chasm between them, one that someday, maybe soon, would be too wide to cross. This realization was superseded in Colton's consciousness by another thought that was not his own, one that had arrived in the voice of the vampire who had come to him that evening. Don't worry, I am here. From now on, I will always be with you. Although the voice crept into his mind unbidden, for Colton, its comforting tone was not unwelcome. 
for so many years, he'd been running from so many things, alone, even sometimes from his feelings for Nick. Thank you, Colton thought, feeling the curiously cool little creature settle reassuringly into his pocket for the journey. Walking up the stairs was awkward, since the Secret Service men seemed insistent on standing both immediately in front of and behind him. He stepped on the back of one man's shoe and apologized profusely as they came to a stop by the helicopter. Colton blinked his eyes against the cold wind, forced down by the blades of Marine One. Recovering himself nervously, the serviceman motioned to his compatriots, who snapped into an awkward salute as Colton climbed in. Once inside, Colton saluted back with a wave of recognition crashing into him like a hurricane on a beach. Nothing in his life was ever going to be simple again. You can do this, Colton chanted in a silent refrain. You can. He reached out to shake all the men's hands as they entered the helicopter, turning on the same million-watt smile that had made him a television darling and later President Tamika Graves' first thought when self-tasked with choosing the most likable man in America to improve her public relations numbers. Only this wasn't just television or a popularity poll on the internet. This was the highest stakes public relations game in the world. God damn it, Colton muttered to himself, staring out the window as the whir of Marine One's blades picked up speed, lifting him off the ground. Here I go. This is the end of chapter 19. Tune in next week for the next episode of Skeleton's Blood here on the Haunted Muse podcast. Until then, this is Vivian Catfield reminding you to remain ever watchful because you never can tell. Someone or something somewhere out there just might be watching you. Whoa.